Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We're still at the Consumer Electronics Show. Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser the faculty chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton. Hi once again, Alan. Hi, Fred. We are having a great CES, and it's really major announcements, major discussions in the podcast, and we're about to have another one. We are. With us is Kai Stepper, Vice President of Driver Assistance and Automated Driving at Bosch in North America. Thank you for joining us, Kai. Thank you for having me, Fred. Well, this has been a really interesting consumer electronics show. So much information and news coming out on on automated vehicles and such. Give us, first of all, a little bit of an overview of some of the things Bosch is talking about here. Sure, I would love to. Thank you, Fred. So uh, this year for us is for Bosch a big year to talk about IoT and how we have transformed Bosch from a company that's well known for components safety systems, especially for the automotive and their manufacturing might, to the Internet of Things. Connecting uh, the home, connecting living spaces, connecting industry, and last but not least, connecting mobility to the rest of the world and with each other. So IoT, the Internet of Things, specifically in the mobility service, which one of the things we're showcasing is our new connected electrified and automated shuttle that takes advantage of years and years of development experience that Bosch has in these topics. Well, tell us uh, about this. This is, mm-hmm. uh, this is not a, a vehicle that you're planning to build and sell on your own. Exactly, Fred. So what, where we come in as Bosch is to being truly the systems integrator. Not only can we uh, supply the components like the sensors, We can also provide the entire software architecture and software execution, as well as the testing and validation. So we do not intend to build vehicles on our own, but we can provide all the solutions that are needed to connect the shuttle, to uh, propel the the shuttle in an electrified manner, as well as in an automated fashion, and that's where Bosch comes in. You have a partnership as well. Is it on this vehicle or a different partnership altogether with with Daimler? We have a number of different partnerships. So this particular IoT shuttle, we are still exploring partners for the future. But the partnership, since you mentioned it, Fred, with Daimler is specifically for level four urban automated taxis that are launching the beginning of next decade. What, what more can you tell us uh, about that and what you're going to be doing with them and what kind of uh, vehicle form mm-hmm. are, are we talking about? Sure. So this is a, um, a service, an automated taxi service that will be offered first in the city of San Jose in California. We're starting uh, with real rides for real people in the summer of 2019. And uh, those will be S-Class vehicles, Mercedes-Benz S-Class vehicles, that have more than 45 sensors integrated of them and a suite of different automated driving features, many electronic control units. And the idea is to transport uh, real consumers, real customers from downtown San Jose to different points in the city in an urban automated taxi. Yes, uh, that's a really great application that you're doing there, um, uh, but it will have um, an attendant on board, right? It won't be driverless. uh, Correct. 
So it's a, it's a level four, as we uh, call in the SAE metrics. Yeah, we, I, I hate them. Yeah, I know. No, no, no levels, please. That's my problem. Not un un understood. Now I will stay away uh, from because, that. Because I, I just think it's, it's so confusing, but... Yeah. The people who listen to the podcast know that I'm confused about it, so go ahead. <laughs> of course, of course. No, that's that's totally fine. So the idea is it's truly a feed-off, hands-off system. And, of course, there will be a safety driver at all times on board. And our safety drivers are going through a rigorous training and certification in order to take over if needed in these situations. So is there anything that you can tell us about... Um, how one might evolve from this. I mean, if, if we're going to have safety drivers, it's probably not scalable. It probably means that it's um, a niche operation. Um, I've sort of looked at it. In fact, my students are now preparing presentations for on Saturday. We're going to talk about autonomous taxis nationwide carrying uh, 800 million trips a day, uh, you know, in an automated fashion. But, you know, how do we scale the darn thing? I mean, you you gotta you gotta, uh, Ellen, you gotta um, start to walk before you can run. Absolutely, and I agree <laughs> that with my students we go wacko. But, uh, so uh, but he's uh, not saying pull the safety drivers. <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, That's yeah, not yeah, what he's so, saying. But but, but uh, you know, on the practical side, uh, w what are your thoughts on that? You know how it's going to scale is that it's going to become truly driverless. We got to start somewhere with the safety drivers, especially in early deployments. Absolutely, because there's nothing to be gained by pulling them where they cost you. You know, I mean, exactly. Right. But where how it scales is truly a self-driving vehicles for specific use cases, for specific use cases for tested and validated routes. Let it be in a certain metropolitan area. Let it be in other situations. There's other use cases out there where you can test and validate the routes where you can then come to the point where you, it's truly driverless, there will be no safety driver, where you can provide trips for real consumers, for real customers, going from point A to point B. And, um, you know, by the way, you know, it, it really removes in the future an important topic, and that is driver shortage. That is driver shortage that exists for ride-sharing, It, uh, it exists in commercial vehicle operations, so not just transporting humans from point A to point B, but also transporting goods in highway situation, in the last mile situations. And that's clearly where we go from there. Well, I, I certainly agree. I mean, what, what I've argued is, uh, you know, you look at mass transit, it serves 4% of the trips. Uh, the other whatever, uh, some walk and some take bicycles, but the other 90%, guess what? We're the ones that are going to be unemployed. We do it. We actually do it for free. <laughs> My goodness! And, and drive some, ourselves around. And, and, and in some sense, uh, you know, I've argued that, that it really creates jobs. Because I, I compare it to uh, eating out. You know, we no longer cook for ourselves, and we create all these jobs for for yeah. people who prepare the food for us. All of a sudden, if we don't drive ourselves, we create a lot of jobs for a lot of people who then end up putting the automated systems together. And, and of course, it's the same thing with, with the goods movement. Um, if it's easy for me to move goods, and I might even share goods, it opens up a whole new opportunity that, that 
for that. So yes, uh, it, it does not affect labor, uh, all, uh, even though some people like to argue that. Yeah, no, actually it creates a lot of jobs. One of the yeah, examples is uh, our concept for the urban automated taxi includes a vehicle control center or VCC. So you have a complete new profession, which is a traffic controller, quote unquote, for surface streets that now support us in the vehicle control center to plan the route, to execute the route, to uh, supervise the entire vehicle fleet. Uh, just to name a few, not to uh, also mention the uh, many, many software engineers and test and development engineers that we have to develop in the first place. Yeah, of, of course. Uh, even though there might not be anybody in the vehicle, there, there has to be some supervision. Absolutely. These aren't going to be perfect. They're going to get a flat tire, I guess. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but, uh, you know, and, and so something's going to have to be done. Uh, something's going to have to be dispatched, something, whatever, uh, some situation. And, and so, of course, absolutely. Yes, we agree. <laughs> yeah, and uh, in addition to that, now you have vehicles that, are, you know, going from individually owned, on average, how many hours per day do you really use that vehicle that you individually own? Less than two, yeah, probably, a lot well, less. Is, yeah. So, well, no, it's four percent a day. I think is the number. It's, exactly. Yeah, and so the productivity and all all that sort of thing. And when one talks about electric vehicles, and even though they might cost more than you get to distribute them over more trips, economically it makes an enormous amount of sense. Blah blah blah. You know, it goes on. And uh, now, now you have vehicles that are on the road twenty plus hours a day. So certainly they're going to need maintenance and repair. They need to come back into a deployment center. They need to be cleaned. They need to be maintained. They need to be repaired uh, now because of the usage of the vehicles dramatically going up compared to individually owned vehicles today. Yeah, so this is what we've been saying. They're fleets, they're fleet managed, they're fleet operated. These are responsible entities, not that we're not responsible. <laughs> uh, I used to get in there and change the spark plugs. I don't do that anymore, uh, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. you know, of course, and this is a whole other economy that provides mobility. One of the things that, that we've been pushing in, in central Jersey is, is mobility for the mobility disadvantage, and, and that's mm -hmm. economically disadvantaged. We're, we're now, these are people that, you know, don't really have the opportunity to go to the low-paying jobs because they're out at the Amazon facility that's next to the turnpike that New Jersey Transit doesn't go to. Yes. You know, and on all the opportunities that this provides for improvement of the quality of life for these people, this is part of the, our argument. Also. Absolutely. And, you know, even, you know, from personal experience, uh, my son has a disability. He's not allowed to make a driver's license. How many people in this country exist who, who lose a big piece of their life because they're not mobile? Like the rest of us are just, um, you know, take it for granted to hop in a vehicle and drive ourselves. The under 16 and under 17 here, uh, you'd say, well, you know, maybe a 13-year-old wants to go someplace. Right now right. we have to show for that. And right. certainly for... For the elderly, and then and then when you get to the economically disadvantaged, which are, you know, probably an order of magnitude, 10x or more than yeah. that. This this is life. This is life changing, life enhancing. So. And and consumers are bullish about it. We just recently last year Bosch did a survey uh, amongst recent new car buyers, and we asked them, um, you know, can you imagine owning or utilizing a self-driving vehicle in the future? Yeah. And more than 50% immediately came back and said, absolutely. Not only can I imagine myself owning and or utilizing one self-driving vehicles, but multiple. 
Um, so, but uh, doesn't real change come when we don't own these vehicles, when it's uh, mobility as a, as, a, as a service? Certainly, but there's going to be, uh, make no mistake, there's going to be many years where we're going to have a mix of ownership. Absolutely. We're going to have a mix between human drivers and self-driving vehicles Forever. for and many, many yeah. years to come. Not we still have horses on, on some exactly. streets. Yeah, I mean, the know. horses never went away. <laughs> the right? horses never went away. No, <laughs> 55 Chevys will always be here. I don't know, I guess 55 exactly. Benz. What should I say? I, I didn't so, say the right thing. But there's, there's, you know, just from the survey we did, there's 52% of the people who are bullish about it. Yeah. They're super excited. They can't literally wait for it to be available for a number of different reasons. And Alan, we mentioned a few of them just, you know, a few minutes ago. And they're going to jump on the opportunity and take advantage of these self-driving cars. Well, no you, doubt. You are going to be starting, you said, uh, a service soon in San, San Jose? That, yes, correct. Summer 2019. What, okay, this coming summer. What work is being done in the community to prepare the population for these vehicles being on the streets? Maybe there doesn't need to be as much in San Jose as there might be in some other areas, yeah. but we see what's going on with backlash in some communities in Arizona with, with Waymo vehicles, things being thrown, et cetera. Is there work that needs to be done to make sure that People are on board, in, in quotation marks. Absolutely, and those are the non-technical experts. Because I'm an engineer, um, you know, Ellen, you, you teach the topic for, for many, many years. Of course, we're excited about new innovations, technologies. But what about the non-technological aspect? And one of them is the aspect of not everybody's accepting. So I mentioned 52%. How about the other 48% right. who are absolutely. not excited about it? So are they accepting it? And we have a wide variety when we talk about consumer acceptance. It could be a non-acceptance or outright rejection. In some cases, it could be an over-acceptance of um, not fully understanding what are the benefits but also the limitations of the technology. So what are we doing? We are focusing heavily as Bosch on education. One of the things that we just recently launched is called a Automated Mobility Academy. It's an online experience. It's not an academy from the sense that you walk away with a college degree and a hat, because the aim is actually for anyone who is interested in the topic to educate themselves more. What is already in vehicles today? What will come? What are these different levels that we don't want to talk about in specific levels? But what does it mean in partial automation and full automation? What are the benefits? What are some of the things that they don't do? Well, that's very important. In fact, that's uh, one of my m focus areas is, is really to, uh, to create a welcoming environment for these things in New Jersey, for yeah. example. Yeah. It, it's really important that, uh, <clears throat> that, one, we not only educate them, but, but we also look at the community and say, how do we maybe modify these so that, in fact, they become more accepting to them? Because, in some sense... We really don't want to change. We should want to find out what the community wants. You know, again, I'm an engineer. Oh, hell yeah, you should want this. But come on, I mean, really, we need. We also need to do some listening yes. while we're doing uh, the educating. Absolutely, absolutely. So, a lot of tasks still to do for academia, for industry, as well as government in the communication and education piece of. What does the technology promise? 
versus what are the limitations of the technology. So I mentioned the Bosch Automated Mobility Academy. Is, is there a site people can yeah, go to for a, that? Yeah, there's a site in it. there. So um, it's a specific online presence. Just type in in your favorite search engine, Bosch Automated Mobility Academy. And it's an online presence with videos and different examples of what's already out there, what will we see in the next few years. That's one good source. Another one is mycardoeswhat.org. What a great name is that, mycardoeswhat.org. Because what we also found in our, in our survey, uh, Fred and Alan, is there is also um, you know, a lack of knowledge out there, what is already in the vehicles today. We ask a specific question in the exact same survey amongst recent new car buyers. Um, what do they think about electronic stability control? And more than 20% of the people came back and says, yeah, I've heard about it. It's something that we will see once automated and self-driving vehicles roll out. When the fact is, it's mandated. Every new vehicle below 10,000 pounds gross vehicle weight in the United States needs to have electronic stability control on board. It's a 100% installation rate. So we have a lot of work to Since do. Since 2012, which is when, when that regulation Correct. went in. So yes, of course. Well, we're talking about, this is a perfect segue into Another yes. technology in the sure. vehicles, right. the which brakes. Is, uh, which is the uh, automated emergency braking. I yes. mean, uh, automated emergency braking is, um, is something that, um, you know, one would like to have in a vehicle. Yes. Um, but it seems to not necessarily work as well. I've seen the IIHS videos where, you know, even at 12 miles an hour, blah, blah, boom. Um, you know, what can you tell us about about the advancement in those systems and, and where are they, where are they going to be, you know, what's the situation with them? It's really uh, interesting, uh, Ellen, where we come from this history because we needed to lay some of the foundations first in order to even have automatic emergency braking. If we wouldn't have had electronic stability control in all cars, which is an important foundation and necessity that you have the brake system to apply the brakes completely independent of the driver, you wouldn't have an automatic course, emergency right, brake right, system. Right, you combine that with the proliferation of radar systems and vision-based systems in the car, starting with adaptive cruise control, which, by the way, is not a safety system. It was really aimed for comfort and convenience, and you, you know, proliferate it. I'll get to that one. And too, but it's a fantastic system. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't drive without it. Okay. But so. you, but you also there. We had to learn to walk first before we could run. So what? we would start with is with a warning forward collision warning to inform and assist the driver that there is a potential rear-end collision and then we went from there and says okay now we move from warning only to acting emergency braking independent of the driver apply deceleration to at a minimum reduce energy and uh, you know take the minimize the consequences even if a crash does occur now, we started with this, and again, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, no, uh, From I, the, I'm a great believer in that <laughs> one, too, so go ahead. And uh, so we had to start with something because we, wanted, we would start with automatic emergency braking that only would react on moving vehicles. We didn't cover pedestrians yet. We didn't cover bicycles in the early years when we started with this in 2010. 
Um, but and, you did, and nobody sort of uh, foresaw that there would be a, a fire truck parked in the lane ahead uh, and um, going at zero velocity, right? No, go ahead. So um, we, uh, because they are, it's in the advanced driver assistance domain, it's an interesting, interesting problem that we have to solve as a challenge because it's always a compromise of providing a benefit versus minimizing what we would what could be perceived as quote unquote false activations, which we also in the community call false positives. Right. When the system reacts, when a human being feels right or wrong, it shouldn't have. It's yeah. always subjective. Of course, because if it does that to me, I'm gonna take the car back to Mercedes and say, this is a lemon, take it back, give me my money back. No, I mean, it's exactly. serious. And we of course had the Prius incidents where, oh my goodness, you know, who knows what happened with all that with the, with the with a gas pedal and so on. So yes, so go on. So, so so it's always a compromise and many, many things in engineering are a compromise each and every day to still provide a meaningful benefit that helps us to reduce injuries, reduce fatalities, but at the same time still have a certain level of acceptable quote-unquote false positives or perceived false activations of the system. And that's something from vehicle technology that for decades and decades we didn't ask anyone to accept. Right. You could not go in and say, well, just anticipate that your steering will only work 99% of the time. 1% of the time the steering will not react. That's impossible to even think. But that's exactly, exactly the challenge we have with driver assistance. So the decision to make is, okay, do we wait until it's absolutely perfect? Or do we already provide a meaningful benefit that helps us to reduce injuries and fatalities, even knowing that there will be a certain percentage of perceived false activations of the system. So what, what instructions do you give a consumer mm -hmm. who gets behind the wheel and they, they, they've read the manual, hey, this has emergency braking, automatic emergency braking, so I don't really need to worry so much, but and, you know, they're, they're and, gonna, and they're, they're gonna rely on it. And, and Fred, that's where we come full circle again to the education topic. It goes back to educating as much as we possibly can from academia, from industry, from government, any potential angles that we have that we clearly communicate what does the system do versus what doesn't it do and what are the limitations. So yes, consumer, do expect that sometimes it may give you an activation or a warning that you perceive you don't want. However, in many, many of the other cases, this, say, this system may just save your bacon. It, it's particularly difficult with a stationary object because yeah. when we're going down the road, there's stationary objects all over the place. Exactly. There are more stationary objects than there are moving objects. Exactly. And in a lot of situations, of course, we have an overpass yes. that gets what? It's in our lane. It just exactly. happens to be up. Is it high enough? Exactly. So in the sense of the systems have to be good enough to say, is there not only a, a surface but also an envelope? that I can pass through. And I guess that's your challenge that you're trying to you know, get it to the point where it reliably determines that envelope, I guess. Exactly, and that's where we're making uh, you know, really improvements technically. When we initially rolled out these type of systems, many of these systems were radar-based only for forward collision warning, adaptive cruise control. And the trick is here, uh, Fred and Alan, to add additional sensing modalities at the vision-based system, any potential 
sensor technology, ultrasonic, laser-based technology that helps you to build a more reliable and robust model of the environment. So if you get in this situation and the radar, the radar sees so many objects. It sees every fire hydrant, every curb, every bridge pillar, anything in there. But now you combine this and fuse the data with vision-based systems and potentially laser-based systems and others to help you classify, no, this is not what we would call a relevant object because it is a bridge or it is a traffic uh, signpost right. and we shouldn't react or on it. Or an overhead branch or the other sort of, or a traffic light that's, it could even be moving a little bit and so on. That's, and, that's but however, you know, there is a pedestrian on the side of the road who is working, walking a certain trajectory that may intersect with the path of travel of our vehicle and that one we should care about. Yeah, right. And step by step we're getting better. Right. And through data fusion to having multiple sensing modalities available to us. And now we're in a position to offer automatic emergency braking for pedestrians. We just last year, Bosch announced our world's first automatic emergency braking system for bicyclists so that we can reliably react on bicycle riders in the lane. And yeah, when we initially rolled out the technology in the early 2000s, we weren't there yet technologically, but we are there now. Excellent. And the systems will continue to improve to help us reliably classify what the objects are, uh, are and should we react on them or not. For more information on, on all of the work that you're doing, or at least some of it, where, where can people go? Very simple, www.bosch, that's B-O-S-C-H dot U-S. Great stuff. Kai Stepper, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Fred, Ellen, to have me. Wonderful conversation. Thank you very much. That's it for this special edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Stay tuned for more from CES. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening.